You're listening to Cornerstone Conversations, a podcast by Cornerstone in Fort Worth, Texas. My name is Jeremy McNairn. I'm the worship pastor here at Cornerstone. Today, I'm joined by Bobby Harrell, our lead pastor, and Josh Martin, our children's pastor. And together, we are talking through our Sunday morning series, Hall of Faith, which is a deep dive into some Old Testament characters who are remembered for their faithful living. As you listen and as you consider the implications on your own life, as you think about the ways that this series has challenged you, we want to hear your comments and we would love to be able to use your feedback to further and extend our discussions. If you could text your comments to 817-809-3040, we'll take all the best and most applicable comments and work them into our discussion as we continue these Cornerstone Conversations. Jeremy, in our last podcast, we were talking about patriarchy and, and Josh, I think you weighed in on some of this as well. Yeah. This system of male dominance. Dominance, which I think is important. It's not even just like a leadership thing. It's a dominating thing. Right. Of the culture, this firstborn status that carries, you know, I'm better than the rest of the kids, Mm -hmm. the brokenness of the families of the old Testament, the lack of a decent marriage model to follow in the old testament i think when i preached one of these sermons to the congregation i told them don't even look in the old testament for a good marriage role model just look right here in our church at cornerstone you'll find many better marriage models and and culturally appropriate married marriage models yeah than what you find is the average old testament marriage absolutely so anyway i mean even new testament it's hard to find a great marriage model this though the sermon on joseph was one you presented jeremy to the church and so maybe josh and i can frame some of our questions more to you on this one sure yeah because knowing now the setting is this ancient world of patriarchy it's just a strange dynamic that we don't get yeah where women are being almost sold by their parents. They're in arranged marriages. They're treated oftentimes as property. There is all of this blatant favoritism. Yeah. You know, we talked about the gold medal wife is the one who can bear you seven sons. Right. You know, and so anything short of that is to, I don't even know how to say it, substandard. Yeah. It's to be, it's to be lacking. It's to be all yeah. your life is yeah. you don't measure up. To what real womanhood is all about. And not only that, you find that many of the Old Testament men have many wives in order to have many sons. Correct. And so they're building a clan. Right. So if one woman doesn't give him enough sons, we'll just get another one and we'll just add to the collection. And that tribal mentality of we're going to build out this big family. Because again, just think about how life was in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Everything was won and achieved through numbers. Yeah. It's It's very much a numbers game when it comes to war. Or when it comes to occupying a land or producing, mm-hmm. you think about a farming agrarian society, you need people to build a nation. And it shows us right there again, that lack of faith that those people had a lot of the times because they're worried more about let's get our numbers up using these methods that God does not approve of mm-hmm. so that, you know, by the world standards, we'll be able to conquer and be great and wealthy, but that's not what living in faith looks like. And that's what caused a lot of the problems for all of these characters we're talking about, and especially Joseph and his family. Yeah, Joseph is a direct result and consequence of a really unhealthy power and family dynamic. 
because you, you're going from Jacob, who we just talked about in our last episode, Jacob and Esau. So Joseph being Jacob's son and just the way that his story unfolds is a direct representation of the broken model that Jacob's family displayed. So let's recap the family. So Jacob runs to his uncle's house mm-hmm. because his brother Esau says he's going to kill him. Yeah. And there works for seven years to get Rachel as a wife. Mm-hmm. He gets conned on his wedding night and ends up with Leah. Yeah. So the father-in-law says, okay, I've given you Leah instead of Rachel and I'm going to give you her handmaid now mm-hmm. work seven more years and get Rachel. And I'll give you her handmaid, her slave as also a wife. So he has four wives. Four wives now. At the end of 14 years. And particularly one that he really loves. And three that he just doesn't care about. That are yeah. accessories to give to more help build sons. out the tribe. Yeah, exactly. You got it. Yeah. So that's Zilpha and Bilha, Rachel and Leah. Mm-hmm. They are the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. Yes. Okay. Now there's and 12 tribes of Israel being, remember, Israel is another name for Jacob. Jacob. Yeah. The 12 yeah. tribes being the 12 sons that he has with these four wives. That's correct. So we've told the story now how he goes back home. You know, he encounters God, wrestles with God. You, as you said, God changes his name to Israel. Yeah. He comes back to Bethel and embraces being God's people mm-hmm. and has God's blessing, God's covenant blessing that was on Abraham and Isaac, his father, and now on Jacob. Now there's 12 sons, but this family of four wives and 12 boys, there's other girls as well, but 12 boys becomes this massive dysfunctional family. Yeah. And as you said, one wife is clearly loved above the others. Oh, and everyone knows it. Yeah. The other wives know it. The sons know it. Everyone knows that Rachel is the favorite wife. And Rachel is beautiful. Rachel is beautiful. Sc- the scripture's clear. Yeah. Rachel's has two sons. Right. Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph and Benjamin. And they are handsome guys. They the, take after mom. Exactly. The Bible calls it out. And there's this blatant favoritism now where Jacob says about Joseph, you know, you just are my favorite son. The favorite son of the favorite wife. And when yeah. he's just a young adult, whether that's a teenager-ish young, uh, I'm, in my mind, I think of him as like this high schooler or something. Yeah. The other brothers, some of them are married with children. Adults. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. There is a big gap between yeah, the ages. And, and we know that Joseph is 17 really when his story starts. That is kind of the time frame. So you're exactly right on him being so much less in experience and age and in worldly wisdom, just the whole deal, because he just hasn't lived as much as the rest of this. I mean, you're talking about 12 people. The span of 12 people's lives can go back relatively far. Time. So when yeah. you look at Reuben being the oldest son, I would imagine that he is significantly older than his 17-year-old brother, Joseph. Yeah. Well, so here's a question I want to ask you, Jeremy, because, you know, when the Old Testament recounts the stories of these biblical men and women, the Mm -hmm. characters in the story, the old Testament puts it all out there in unvarnished truth. And you see the flaws of the people. When the new Testament retells the stories, Mm -hmm. the new Testament rarely ever mentions their blatant sins. Yeah. Clearly there's something that because of the cross now that the writers of the new Testament simply say, yeah, but look at their faith. Yeah. Overlook that other stuff, but look at their faith. Yeah. And their faith in God now covers that sin. And we don't talk about that. We just talk about their faith moments, not mm-hmm. their big sin moments. Yeah. So Joseph is often held up 
by Christianity as this guy in which is no blatant sin. Yeah. But you really brought out some other elements. I gave him a hard time on a few weeks ago. And we're glad because we know he is not Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. He's a human. And therefore we know he also had to go through a journey of spiritual growth. He had to overcome sin in his own life as not that we overcome it in our own goodness. I'm not saying that, but he had to deal with his own sinfulness. Yeah. And we often look at the brothers as, oh gosh, they're so vicious to this 17-year-old Joseph. But is that really the story the Bible's telling? Well, I mean, that's a twofold answer because yes, the brothers are at fault in a lot of ways. They do things that are just, you know, not even remotely acceptable. Right. However, when you look at Joseph's, especially the first third of his story, where he is a 17-year-old child before he's sold into slavery, he's, I wouldn't say necessarily that he's the bad guy, but he is a victim of his own faults. And what I mean by that is he suffers from an incredible lack of self-awareness. And that lack of self-awareness puts him in many circumstances where things are much harder for him than they would have been had he had a little bit of awareness. This is one of my greatest pastoring difficulties here. And I talked about it a few weeks ago when I gave the invitation to your message. Yeah, A lot of your message was directed to the congregation about Mm self-awareness, but it's those who don't have self-awareness that don't know that that's what they need because they're not self-aware to understand that that's a fault and a blind spot. You see the incredible challenge of helping Christians grow in the area Mm -hmm. of lack of self-awareness. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be, you know, clever about this, but it's almost like if you're hearing these podcasts and messages about self-awareness and you don't think this is you, (laughs) it is. It probably is. This is directed directly to you. Yeah. Well, and okay. So looking at Joseph's story, he starts off, he is the favorite child. And Jacob makes it very clear that Joseph is the favorite child. And we see that even from, you know, we hear the coat of many colors. It's not really called that in the Bible. The Bible really is unclear about what this coat looks like. Specifically, the point, what, though, what's happening, though. the point is that it is a favored garment that shows that he is favored. Yeah. yeah. And it's particular and specific. So if I took to all my nature. sons down to Tractor Supply yeah. or Target, but then I took, you know, you, my favorite son, down to Nordstrom. Sure. And, and bought you Hugo Boss and Armani. And, you know, yeah. there's clearly a there's difference. There's a clear distinction yeah. in yeah. the kind of garment that Jacob is giving his favorite son, Joseph, versus the other. So he is the favorite child. And Joseph then allows all of his interactions with the rest of his family to come from the perspective of being the favorite. But he doesn't really process that that's what's happening. So he has this prophetic dream where all of the brothers essentially bow down to him. And he sees himself as being the ruler and head, not just of, you know, the nation, but of his family, family. specifically his family bowing down to him. And then he goes and tells his brothers, hey, I know that I'm the favorite, but I want you to know eventually you're going to bow down to me. So let me ask you. So the dream, we see that as God communicating a reality to Joseph through the dream. Right. So where does the lack of self-awareness then come into this? The lack of self-awareness is that. If you understand the circumstances of you being the favorite, your brothers really don't like you that much because of that favoritism. And I think it's fair for them to be a little jaded over the favoritism. Maybe don't tell them about this prophetic dream you had where they all bow down to you. Yeah. So that is what reveals the beginning of this lack of awareness. And it's it's youthful arrogance. It's naivety. It's lack of self-awareness. And again, I don't want to delegitimize the prophetic nature of this dream. The dream comes true. 
God was faithful in this dream, but the brothers probably didn't need to hear about it in the way that Joseph tells yeah, him. Yeah. And, and even worse than that, he has a second dream, which now includes the brothers and the mom and dad. And he goes and tells them that dream too, after it already doesn't go well the first time. He didn't learn from his right. mistake. That kind of goes back to the question of who's at fault. Like it's not his fault that God gave him this prophetic dream. It's not his fault that he's the favorite. Yeah. But he's not doing himself any favors. It is his fault how he responds to those things. Yeah. And he's not responding in a way that's going to earn him any favor in the eyes of his brothers. Or, I mean, he's already there with his parents, but his brothers are going to be the ones that are going to be with him for the rest of his life. Yeah. He needs that approval more than he needs the approval of his parents. And, and he's not helping himself out. Exactly. There's even, and I didn't realize this until I was studying for this particular sermon, but Joseph actually goes and tattles on his brothers often to Jacob. Yeah. And it's funny the way that the text is written, because there's many times where you see Joseph's brothers out working in the fields, doing their job and being really, you know, hardworking and doing what they're supposed to do. And Joseph, the one who's not working, is the one who goes and tattles on his brothers to his dad. And again, it's just, if he had a little bit of self-awareness, you recognize that maybe as the one who's not working, you shouldn't be tattling on the ones who are, especially again, as the father's favorite child. And so you see this over and over. It is the recurring theme in the first third of Joseph's story is that he just has no idea the way that people perceive him and the way that he's projecting himself out there to the people who you know, clearly don't like him. One of the things that you and I are always trying to discuss and prepare for is what is God then saying to our congregation right Right now in the modern era? Is it fair to think that maybe some in our own family here are struggling with self-awareness? I uh, think how, so. how people perceive them? I think so. I guess the challenge is how do we help them? Yeah, I think part of it is just regardless of whether this is something you struggle with or not, we need to get into the habit of making self-assessing questions. Yeah. You brought out in the message some self-assessing questions. Yeah. That maybe could be a guideline just to something every once in a while we want to not assess others, but self-assess. Yeah, exactly. And so I think one question is, what can I do to improve my situation? A lot of times we expect everyone else to do things to make our lives better without really recognizing that we have a part to play here. We can make our lives better. We can improve the situation that we're in oftentimes. And there's things that you could actively do to make things better. What can I do to improve my situation? It's really easy to blame the circumstance you're in for everything that's going wrong. It's really easy to have a million excuses of, well, this is happening to me because of this, you know, job that I have or this person and the way they interact with me. But at the end of the day, just like with Joseph, it's our job to look at ourselves and say, what am I doing that's not helping this situation? There's something that I can be doing better. Yeah, and actually that's the second question is what is my involvement in this conflict? If I'm dealing with something where someone's, I feel like everyone's against me, everyone's working against my greater good and you know, everyone's not working to make things better for me. It's like, well, have you asked yourself, what's my involvement in this conflict? Yeah. Because chances are, or rather, It's very rare that someone is actually the bad guy in your story. It's very rare that you have someone who's actively working against you. It's rare that people wake up in the morning and say, I wonder how I can get at this person. Right. People just don't plot that way as a rule. Yeah, as a rule. Uh, Sure, at times there are just evil people who want evil for you. But but that's not often. Most of the time, things are just a mismatched expectation between two people, you know, that I was expecting something to happen one way. They were expecting something a different way. And then conflict arises when those 
expectations don't match up. But regardless, you have an involvement in the conflict that most of the time you're not recognizing. Instead, you're only recognizing the other person's involvement in the conflict. And if you made the habit of making a self-assessing question, what is my involvement in this conflict? Then maybe you'd have a, a better framework then to deal with managing it. As we're trying to help people in conflict, a lot of times people bring their feelings to bear, you know, and they're like, but here's how I feel. Right. Uh, you want to comment on that? Yeah, actually, this is a funny thing to bring up because in premarital counseling, we talk a lot about, you know, to anyone who's wanting to get married, we go through some many counseling steps to make sure that they have a full understanding of really what they're getting into. But one thing that we make a big point of is you can't argue with feelings because feelings are always true. So if I say, I feel upset. Okay, well, I can't argue with that. You know, if someone says, I feel angry. Okay, well, I can't argue with that. You are angry. The feelings are always true, but feelings aren't always rooted in the truth. Right. Right. So you might be feeling like, you know, whatever, that everyone's against me, but. Is that rooted in truth? That's not yeah. actually normally rooted in truth. So I can't argue with the feeling. A why question is good here. Why? So here's what I feel. Why am I feeling this way? Right. Why am I feeling this way? And not only that, I would take it even a step further. What does it reveal about my brokenness when I feel this way? If I feel like people are against me, well, is that really illuminating an insecurity that I have? It, more than it's revealing anyone being against me. Well, let's apply it to Joseph. If Joseph would have asked, why do my brothers hate me? The answer to that question would not have been, well, you know, you're smarter than us. You're better than us. The answer would have been, you're arrogant. Yeah. You talked to us like we're trash. It wouldn't have taken a whole lot of self-reflection for him to figure it out. Very quickly. He could have figured out that his attitude and the way he presented himself to his family, he was the cause of the conflict. Yeah. And not only that, I think he would have felt more for his brothers had he made the habit again of these self-assessing questions and realized I really am in a favored position in the family. I understand why they're jaded against me and really against my father too, because my father's showing me this favoritism. So, I, so I dad, don't give me these special clothes. Take me down to tractor supply and buy me some Wranglers and boots and I'll get on a horse like my brothers Yeah, and I'll go work with them and learn how to be, you know, I'll learn both sides of the business, both the numbers and how to run the cattle. Yeah. Don't you think his brothers would have liked him more had he told his dad, dad, you know, I don't think it's fair that everyone else is working and I'm not. I think I should get out there. Which I guess then the second layer of this is it also reveals the father, Jacob's lack of self-awareness well, of ja how he was destroying Jacob's his own. Jacob's just pointing to everyone as favorites. He's like, okay, well, I've got four wives. Rachel, you're clearly the most beautiful. I like you the most. Yeah. And then he's got all these 12 sons. Typically, it's the firstborn, Reuben, who would be yeah. the favorite. Yeah. But because Jacob was also in a weird favoritism situation what, with his own father. As the gold medal wives, yeah. the ones who actually bear all the, the most of the sons are not Rachel. Are not Rachel. Yeah. She's actually barren and she, has a hard time having children. She only has Joseph and Benjamin. The other wives and even the slave wives yeah. end up being the gold medal wives, if you want to mm -hmm. say that from the patriarchy point of view. So. so culturally, the brothers have every reason to expect that Joseph would not be the favorite. Right. And even still, it's not about Joseph being the favorite or who should be the favorite. It's the fact that there was a favorite. Right. Yeah. And that should not happen. That should not happen. And because there was a favorite, if there was a little bit of self-awareness, then the problem wouldn't have escalated in the same way. And Joseph suffered from a lack of it. The last question that I asked was, if I were to respond in this way, would other people's perception of me point them closer to God? 
And what I mean by that is oftentimes we react emotionally in a way that only points people towards our drama and not closer to God. If we ask ourselves, okay, before I respond, does this make people have a better understanding of who God is? If I were to respond in that way, if we just asked ourselves that question before we responded, most of our conflict would go away Yeah. Yeah, because we'd start resolving our conflict before it turned into it. And we would start responding to conflict in a way that only pushes towards a Christ centric resolution. Josh, you grew up in a pastor's home. I grew up in a pastor's home. Jeremy grew up in the home of some really devout Christians and might as well have been a pastor's home. Almost. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from the time you were a teenager, uh, you're right into a Christian college and then discipled here at Cornerstone. And I mean, this has been your life. So there's three people sitting here that grew up with Christianity. And I guess all three of us, I'm assuming you would agree with me that Christians have a lot of drama. So much drama. Yeah. And needlessly so. And there is the right way to say that, Jeremy, needless drama. Yeah. So much of our Christian drama would go away if we could do just those four assessment questions and and come up with the right answers. And so I think this was a great wake up call, the sermon you preached to get us to look and assess ourselves. Yeah. Another great point that you brought out in this message on Joseph is about the presence of God with us. And you made several great statements in your message about God being with us. Yeah. You want to elaborate upon that? Yeah. So Again, I mentioned this earlier, but the first third of Joseph's story, I don't want to say he's the bad guy because obviously his brothers are the bad guys here, but Joseph suffers from a lack of self-awareness. After he's sold into slavery, you start seeing a very different version of Joseph, a version where like it's hard to fault anything he does. And this is really where most of Christianity looks at Joseph as being this hero. We ignore the first part of his story, but Joseph turns into a really great guy after he's sold into slavery by his brothers. But, well, there's nothing, Jeremy, that'll bring you down off of your high your pedestal, horse, like yeah. being human trafficked. Exactly. I mean, he went from, you know, this favorite to now I am just an object. Yeah. And I was sold into slavery. Right. One thing that I, that I loved in study was the realization that in Joseph's dream, he saw all of his brothers bowing down. It says actually falling to the ground to bow to him. And then... In the turnaround of that, his brothers put him underneath the ground in a pit while they all mock him from above the ground, looking down on him now as the, as he's sold into slavery. So really, it has been a complete reversal of fortune and reversal of his situation. But anyway, all that to say, Joseph turns into a very different person after he's sold into slavery. And while he has turned into this much better person, he's really learned from his situation and circumstances the constant is that God is always with him. And God is actually not in the written word of Joseph's story until after he's sold into slavery. And the constant of God's involvement in this story is that it said, and the Lord was with him. You don't really hear a lot more about God's involvement in this story, except that he is with Joseph. And you'll find him in many different circumstances. You see him in slavery. You see him in leadership within that slavery. You see him running the administration of Potiphar's home. You see him being accused by Potiphar's wife. You see him being thrown into jail and being put in jail for many years. Then you see him taken in and and really running all of Egypt. You see a very diverse 
display of Joseph's circumstances and regardless of the circumstance and regardless of the fortune or misfortune of those circumstances, the line is constant throughout and the Lord was with Joseph. Okay. So I want to get this straight. So God is always with his children, yes, his people, right? We are his covenant people by yeah. faith and they were his covenant people. God's always with his people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what would you say to me if I said to you, okay, I get that I'm God's people and I hear you saying God's always with me. Why then can't I feel God's presence with me at times? I feel alone. You yeah. know, what was yeah. me? Well, well, first, after we'd have the self-assessment question in this conversation, <laughs> because I think it's really important. I think we have to be better at recognizing that God is present even when we can't feel him. Because it's not all about us and our feelings. Yeah. Right. He's proven himself time and time again as always being present. And again, he's in a habit of being with his children. I mean, honestly, this is why we even have the Holy Spirit is because God wanted to make his presence constantly known with his people. And if you ever come into the situation where I don't feel God's presence, it's not a God problem. It's a you problem. So I guess this is where we would differentiate what faith is from what feelings are. Yeah. Faith transcends your feelings. Right. Yeah. Faith is believing in an invisible God. Well, and it's confidence in him. It's not even just belief because belief is kind of abstract. Uh, yeah, maybe. It's abstract, yeah. but confidence is knowing yeah. that he is present even yeah. when I can't feel him. Right. And that he's still working even when I do, can't see him. Do you think all him. Christians go through seasons of maybe a discouraging time or some bad things have happened and you get this woe is me kind of moment and you feel like, well, God's not abandoned me, but I don't feel the presence of God in this moment. Yeah. I think it's true of everyone. And I think it's probably very true of Joseph. Look at his circumstances. They were terrible circumstances. If you study through Hebrews 11 and you look through a lot of those character stories, many of them even say, why has God forsaken us? Why has he left us in these horrible situations? You know, we've heard all these stories about, you know, Moses and how God delivered the Israelites from Egypt and how he did all these wonderful things just to, you know, leave us here, leave us for dead under these people who are doing the same thing to us. We live in the same kind of situations a lot of the time, obviously not, you know, being conquered by a conquering nation, but we find ourselves in situations where we can feel alone and we feel like, all right, well, God, you got me through all these other things, but... Now you just kind of left me here alone. What am I supposed to do now? Yeah. So the point is faith looks beyond the circumstances and beyond the feelings. Yeah. And there are times when you have to say to yourself, Hey, you know, Bobby, put your feelings aside for a minute and let's go to what you know. Yeah. And what you believe and what you know is that God will never leave you nor forsake you. He has promised to always be with you. And in our context on this side of Calvary, he has put his spirit within us. Mm -hmm. We are living temples of God. So go look yourself in the mirror and say, God, I know you're with me right now, living in me. You hear, you see, you're at work. Forgive me for being short-sighted, short-sighted, insensitive to your present, unaware Acting as if maybe, you know, sometimes I think of it this way. Sometimes Christians live as practicing atheists at times where, you know, we do what the world does and don't live in the faith of the moment. Yeah. Without really putting our confidence in him. We put our confidence in ourselves most of the time. Yeah. Because if I were to question anyone, including myself in one of these, won't say, well, you do believe God is real, right? 
Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. of course. Well, you do believe he's with his people, right? Well, of yep. course. Well, you do have his spirit in you, right? Well, yep. of course. Then, but then they would say, yeah, but I feel. And again, if it's a feeling thing, I'm not trying to negate your feelings. Your feelings are true. But are your feelings rooted in the truth? Right. Yeah. So you made this statement on Sunday when you taught about Joseph. Your misperception of God's absence does not negate his presence. Right. So you might perceive God to be absent, but it doesn't mean that he is. Yeah. He is actually present. He is very present. That is the truth. And that, Every that's time, it. no matter what, he is present with his people. But what if my circumstances are bad? Your circumstances will be bad. And I think we have to be okay with that. And honestly, this is one thing that at one point I had it really developed in the sermon. We had, I had to cut it for time. But if you go through and you ask yourself, okay, who's at fault here? Who's at fault for Joseph being sold into slavery? Let me just ask you guys, who is at fault for Joseph being sold into slavery? His, his brothers. brothers. Who was at fault for Joseph being thrown into prison? Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife. You know, if we were to ask ourselves constantly throughout Joseph's story, who is at fault? The answer is not God. No. Right. God is not at fault for these bad right. circumstances. And really, I mean, this kind of goes into some... Well, the world's filled with all kinds of people. They're not all God followers. Yeah. Right. And they do bad things. Right. I would even say, why was Joseph hated by his brothers? Whose fault is that? Joseph's. It's yeah. Joseph's and <laughs> yeah. Jacob's yeah. fault, yeah. right? Yeah. At no point is God at fault for Joseph's circumstances. No. Yeah. But God was present with Joseph regardless of the circumstances. Right. And we have to be okay right. knowing that... One, bad circumstances will happen to us. It is just a norm of life because we live with broken and fallen people. But also... God is with us. God is with us. And he's not the one who's causing our evil and bad circumstances. We don't have to blame God. Uh, One of the things that happens often, especially in sickness, for example, my mother many years ago came down with leukemia. And I remember when that happened, there's all the natural questions of why does God want this to happen? Why did God allow this to happen? And we're putting blame on God for the things that happen biologically within our body. It's not God causing these bad things to happen. But I tell you what, God was very present in that circumstance with my mother and with, with our whole family. Our whole family came to a deeper and more mature relationship with the Lord even in those really difficult circumstances. But if I blame God for the circumstances, then I've put the blame in the wrong spot completely. Right Right before we came down here to the recording studio, the three of us were on a conference call with Romania and we were talking about a horrible situation with Pastor Elijah. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, you know, here are both unsaved and saved people fleeing for their lives from Ukraine. Yeah. And he's rescuing them and putting them into homes. Just because geographically, Romania is the neighboring country. Neighboring yeah. country. And, you know, he was telling us about the, the women and children sleeping everywhere, on the floor, coming to them with only the clothes on their back, and the care that they're getting from our brothers and sisters in Romania through the ministry of Brother Elijah, our partner there. And, you know, you ask yourself in a moment like that, okay, well, why are these people suffering? Yeah. Not because of God. No. Because a lunatic in Russia wants to start World War Three. Because there yeah. is evil in the world. Yeah. And there some people evil. are against you. That is correct. And so it's affecting all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Christians aren't the only ones being affected. Yeah. And so, you know, from the start of this, we've been asking, you know, we when this first happened, I got on the phone with Elijah, we began to pray and to seek God's direction. And one of the things Elijah and I discussed is let's just 
be looking for the hand of God to show up because God is present even in war, even in natural disaster, even in all this kind of thing, we will see the presence of God manifest itself. And so this morning, just before we came down, you know, one of the things he said to us is, I just led a Ukrainian family to Christ just today yeah, and have moved them on to a safe house further into Europe. But I send them now to a Christian family. Well, praise God. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. You know, it's like in the story of Joseph, his brothers meant it for evil, but God turned it for good. Yeah. And so what a lunatic in Russia means as world war, there are people coming to Christ today because Christians are realizing God is present at all times, regardless of your circumstances and And regardless of of the difficulty of your circumstances. Correct. Yeah. Because again, there's so many difficult circumstances that Joseph dealt with. But you never see, or rather, the Old Testament account doesn't ever say that Joseph is doubting God's presence or asking for a removal of his circumstances. But just put yourself in his shoes. He's in yeah. slavery. He's in prison. He's in all these terrible situations. Do you think at any point he asked God to remove him from those circumstances? Of course. Of just course. naturally. It's human nature. You, yeah. you would have to assume. We don't know that with all certainty, but at least if I were to put myself We there, project our own I, <laughs> default I, mode. Yeah, I would him. have asked God to take me out of that, especially as a child, 17 years old in slavery, as the formerly favorite child. I mean, surely he at some point made an appeal to God, God, please remove my circumstances. And God didn't remove his circumstances. Joseph remained in difficult situations, but God was still very present in all those. I I don't think it's wrong to pray for a change of circumstances. I mean, I don't think this is wrong. I I don't think it's wrong, but I don't think it's a fair assumption. Yeah. But don't be disappointed if God doesn't immediately change your circumstances. Right. And live in the truth that God is present. And even if this circumstance is absolutely terrible, Joseph was in horrible circumstances, but God was still working. God still had that plan that ultimately saved his people. It was through the horrible circumstance, honestly, that he met those who worked in the palace. Yeah. Yeah. It was in prison that he made his key contact that would then project him to the prime ministership of Egypt. Yeah. So through the bad circumstances... God is always present and he's always working. And so listen to anyone listening to this podcast and you're thinking, okay, my work situation is not ideal. You know, either some real conflict with my boss or they're asking me to do things I'm not comfortable with, or maybe you've got a real circumstance with a relationship, you know, or a sickness, or it could be a million different things. You know, what are we telling people? What, What is our message to those who find themselves in a bad circumstance hearing this podcast? I think my message would be, to zoom out a little bit. And the reason being, you might just be in a chapter of your story that hasn't ramped up to its conclusion yet, right? Sometimes we think that the grand finale of our story is the present moment. So everything has culminated to these horrible circumstances. No, maybe right now you are just in a chapter of a much bigger story that hasn't reached its resolution. If you were to have resolved Joseph's story, just take him out of slavery and that's the end. Okay, well, he wouldn't have had the same perspective that he had by the end of his story where he's really ruling Egypt. He wouldn't have had the same circumstance, really great resolution, God-given resolution, had it been resolved early. And a lot of times we want all of our problems to be resolved early without realizing that a greater resolution is still to come. 
And if you ever find yourself in really difficult situations and really hard circumstances and you just don't feel God's presence and you want everything to be resolved right now, but you're not getting that resolution, I would challenge you to maybe find a different perspective on your circumstances, understanding that right now is a chapter and you haven't reached the end yet. And maybe by having that kind of perspective that sees your current situations as just a temporary situation, maybe it would help us to then have a better perspective on the end. Be aware that God is present at all times. All the time. And you can call out to him at any time and he is not far from you. He is right here. When the story ends, Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt. Mm -hmm. He's brought his whole family down and he told his family, I'm not upset with you. This is the, you know, Bobby Harrell version of the Bible, but I've grown up a whole lot since you saw me at 17. I am a grown man now. God has taught me so much and he has always been with me. And in my zoomed out perspective, I'm not in the least bit angry at you. No. In fact, he tells them what you meant for evil. God has turned for good. Yeah. To save your lives. To save your, and not just your lives, but the whole nation. The people of God. Because of the evil that you did, God turned into something so much greater. What another 180 shift for him. Yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of sum up. So we've got the creation story that opens Genesis, Mm -hmm. the fall of man, and it only keeps getting worse. Yeah. A hard reset at Noah. It doesn't solve the problem. There's no people of God. God calls Abraham to be the people of God and makes them a covenant people. Mm-hmm. And now his children become Israel, if you would. Yeah. And the story ends, Genesis ends with the story of Joseph on the throne of Egypt, now about to die. Yeah. And by faith, he says, Egypt is not what God promised us. No. The promised land, the land that Abraham walked on is what God promised us. So don't entomb me permanently here in one of these pyramids. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, embalm me because I intend to travel with you back to the promised land. Right. Which is harkening back to the promise that God gave all the way back at Abraham saying that there will be a great exodus. And really, when you look back, so again, our thesis chapter is Hebrews chapter 11, where it says the reason why all of these Old Testament characters had faith. It's really interesting because the author of Hebrews doesn't say Joseph had faith even in his difficulty. It doesn't say Joseph had faith even when he was in leadership. Instead, it says Joseph had faith when he asked for his bones to be held until the exodus. And I thought that was really interesting because there's so many moments that you can call out in Joseph's story as being very faithful and where he remained faithful because he knew God was with him. And there's so many times where you see that being the constant theme, but what he's remembered for is that he was future focused. Yeah. Again, that he wasn't so focused on the current circumstances that he lost sight of what was to come. And really at any point he could have been very now focused yeah oh man why am i in such terrible circumstances why am i so misfortuned in my situation he could have had that kind of perspective but instead he's remembered that in the end he was still looking forward to the future of what was to come yep. he didn't see sitting on the throne of a superpower nation of his era as the fulfillment of a lifetime no he said there is still one chapter to come and it's yeah. a chapter that has less to do with me and more to do with my future generations us, to come. all of us. Right. And I love that he had faith even in his final words that he wanted to impart to his family. I know I've lived a, a wild life. 
I know that I've gained great perspective through my difficulties and my circumstances. I know that God has remained faithful and very present in my life, but I want you to know more than anything that I still have faith for what's to come for you. So hold on to my bones and don't dispose of them until you get to where God's promised. Yeah. That's a beautiful display of future awesome. focused faith. It's almost an Easter message right yeah. there. You're yeah. looking to the resurrection. You're looking for what's about to happen. God's yeah. going to give us a new reality and a new future. And I'm totally believing in that and commanding that as my last wish. That's awesome. Awesome story. I love Joseph's story. And I love the opportunity that we have as a church family to study all of these Old Testament characters and really get a greater perspective on our faith from the way that they are remembered for their faith. As you do this study with us, as you listen, as you visit us in person here at Cornerstone or wherever you're listening to these podcast episodes, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, if God is working in your heart in a particular way, or if something really spoke to you, we'd love to hear those comments. If you could text them to 817-809-3040, we would love to hear from you. Because again, these are conversations for all of us. As we sit around our table and have a discussion, we want to include you in those as we work through these cornerstone conversations together. 